It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing, carefully consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Co. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello and welcome to the podcast. The Nature and Countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. My name is Fergus Collins and I'm the host of the podcast. And I'm out in my front garden where I've got my veg patch. Jack doors overhead, sunshine on my back, and very healthy looking crops of all sorts of things from peas and leeks to courgettes, and just the very end of the broad beans, spinach, runner beans, a whole load of things, and it's an appropriate place to be, I think, for our current season. It's called A Taste of the Countryside, where we're celebrating food and drink, and especially those farmers and food producers who work alongside nature to enhance biodiversity and environment as they go about their business. We're going to be doing a little bit of foraging and tasting along the way ourselves. And in this episode, episode four, we're exploring the most important foundation in a healthy food system, the soil. And a look at my own soil, which is made up of years of compost. And I think how much love and attention has gone into that and the rewards I get back. But it's something as a wider society we often neglect to our detriment, to our peril. Back in early June, I visited a rather wonderful landscape on the edge of Dartmoor called Great Langerford Farm, where the manager, Tony Bayliss, oversees a stunning and incredibly varied haven for wild creatures, as well as a unique place to study the power of soil. I met with Tim Harrod and Hannah Bowley from the British Society of Soil Science, and we joined Tony on a tour of this marvellous place. Among the orchids and butterflies, they revealed how focusing on soil could change the fortunes of farmers and wildlife for the better. Plus, for me, there was a slim chance of catching up with one of Britain's rarest butterflies, the marsh fritillary. How could I resist? Okay, so uh, altogether we've got 99 acres. Uh, this ground is up on the top, of the, this is up on the moor, so you can sort of forget this. We're here. Okay, in so the barn, so we're looking at and I know they're going to divide it into three from the soil of, from point of view of soil, but from the point of view of our management, it's really into two. So we've kind of got a horseshoe of Ross pasture wetland, and this is the marsh artillery habitat. So it goes right around there, right around there, and back around there, and kind of up above the, that, that's the dryland meadows. So this is higher, and this is it's slightly of, higher. Yeah, yeah we've okay. got. Um, uh, sort of corn ditch along here and uh, uh, you'll see as you walk around uh, this is an area of about six or seven acres of ponds that were put in in the 1950s okay and, and obviously where we are now with the field we just walked down is uh, that's uh, that'll be cut for here uh, a late we only cut late obviously because of the 
the wildflowers, what have you. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking with Tony Bayliss. Tony, you manage this. Uh, is, yes, I is do. Is that your, your key role here? Uh, yes, I'm the trust manager. But I've worked here, I worked on the land here for about 17 years. Right, so you part time, it pretty, so. pretty well. And, uh, uh, yeah, um, it's beautiful. We walked through a meadow coming down here, which is just absolutely divine, full of yellow rattle and orchids. I, I'm very excited about seeing what what's, what is here. So I'm also here with Tim Tim Harrod. Tim Harrod. Tim, you are a soil expert and a man of a man of the West Country. Well, uh, I've been in the West Country since 1965, but oh, I, as you can tell from my voice, <laughs> you can tell from my voice, I'm 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 not West Country. I'm what uh, is usually called a yellow belly, which is Lincolnshire. Oh, right, uh, OK. Uh, That's just a but, long, you're a long way from here. Uh, well, yes. So we're here to talk soil. Oh, yes. You talked about pits. Yes. What are, what are they? I mean, I know we're going to go and see them, but are they, just, well, are they literally... They're, they're hole, holes in the ground, about a cubic metre, that yeah. sort of size, yeah. which is a standard approach for soil description. And uh, It was always a great career for a young man when confronted with potential... Uh, in-laws well what is it you you do young man well i i wander the countryside i i dig holes and i sit in them and i i spit a little bit and i write a little bit and then i fill them in and it's time to go home that was that was how it started <laughs> i thought i'd do it for a couple of years and i did it for a lifetime uh, digging uh, pits but also there's a map on the wall here, oh yes which is your map Yes. Of the soils of Devon and Cornwall. Yes, yes. <laughs> but it's, it's, and you've walked all of that and yeah. dug your pits in all so, of that. Yeah. That's incredible. Twice, most oh. of it. Yeah, yeah. So, at the very basic level, why is soil important? I think. Well, because it's a, the medium uh, that uh, uh, sustains uh, pretty well all of uh, uh, terrestrial. Uh, ecology and, 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 and much of life. Uh, I mean, apart from what we get from the oceans, it's uh, uh, in the way of food. It's got to, it's got to come from the, the land, from the soil. So it's and utterly fundamental. Yeah, and, and soils are so diverse that, uh, you know, uh, one place you can grow, grow wheat and, and other places you can't. And, and there's the opportunity to do all sorts of different things with that more uh, difficult land. So that's what we're, a little bit we're going to talk about. Yeah, different, that's different right. Yes, yes. But if soil is so important, why have so many people in, in who, land managers, farmers, why, why hasn't it been given the focus? It's given I, the focus. I, I think every, everything has got so that we, we expect uh, easy answers and, and uh, everything almost needs to be formulaic and, and, and straightforward. And, uh, anybody dealing with, with land will tell you that the land varies in the first instance. And also, uh, it's, a, it's a constant... Uh, it's not always struggle, but uh, f farmers have, and, and people uh, making use of the land, they have to deal with the weather, and the weather is, is unpredictable and, and always variable. And climate change... Will, However, whatever form it takes, uh, will, will uh, make that more of an issue. So there's such diversity in the circumstances, and yet it's, it's, the soil has got to do do a job. And industrialisation uh, looks for easy answers, and I'm afraid with agriculture you can't always you can't always do that. Well, I think the, pr the pressure for, for growing food as well from the Second World War. We've got land, we need to grow food on it. So the pressure was to grow a lot of food. So through the 50s and 60s, the use of lots of agrochemicals, lots of synthetic fertilisers <clears throat> to grow all that food. And at that time, like the grasslands that were ploughed up to make productive fields were grasslands. They had you know, sufficient organic matter. They were healthy soils, for a yeah, better okay. word. So, so they days, could grow so... their food, and yeah. that carried on. And then the... The population increased and increased, and the pressure on farmers to grow more crops increased. And so that's... It's probably not that people have specifically ignored soils, it's just that the pressure's been on growing the food. 
and sort of as a bypass, well, the soil is overgrow the food in it, never yeah. mind. Take it's it for only, granted a bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then recently, there's that turnaround that people are going, oh, the, the increase in yields that we've seen over the last 50, 60, 70 years is slowing up. While we're still developing the crops in the same way, we're still using the same synthetic chemicals in the same way, what's going on? Oh, it's the soil. We need to think about what's going on with the soil and looking after that. I should introduce you. You're Hella Poli, and you are part of this, the British... Society of Soil Science. Good. We'll do that again. <laughs> you're part of... We, we are the South West Regional Committee, um, part of the British Society of Soil Science. Brilliant. So, um, and this is a particularly interesting site, as Tim has pointed out, for yeah. you guys to come and assess the different soil types. And, uh, and, and to use to show to show other people about soil. Because yeah, that's, yeah. what, that's what the British Society of Soil Science, part of our remit is to tell get people, people, people who are not into soil to get them into well, soil. This is your <laughs> day. This is your day yes. in the sun. Well, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the overcast yes. cloud. But uh, and very excitingly, we're going to have a look around. Um, hopefully see a bit of wildlife along yeah. the way. Whatever Do worms count? Worms definitely count. Excellent. But the audio from worms isn't quite as exciting <laughs> as uh, you know, when we find the skylark. But... Um, <laughs> Well, we could start with a, yeah, let's a visit go. to a pit where there's a, a little bit of worm interest. If you, <laughs> yeah, watch out, because they can spend the whole day. In yeah, we'll call it. <laughs> no, we'll call it a worm cast. Um. Okay. So I think the thing to add to what uh, Hannah was saying is that in my boyhood, I worked on a farm in the school holidays when. I first went there at 13. He was still cutting his corn with a reaper and binder in the in the traditional way. Yes. And by the time I was uh, 16, he got a combine harvester. So, so what I'm saying change. is the rate of change has been phenomenal. Yes. yes. And you, and you think. But this is a small heath bus. Yes, yes. yeah. Pe people were still using horses, seriously, when, when I was starting on that. And uh, by the time I was 20, there, there were enormous great tractors available. Yeah, so things changed. Ch changed very quickly, and it's yeah. very easy to let things like soil fall behind. Plenty yeah. of... Uh, this is yellow, yellow rattle. Yellow rattle is wonderful. Yeah, we're just the walking through parasitic, this uh, meadow of yellow rattle, and there's other plants here that you can see. I mean, we pass some. Obviously, the orchids. Are they common spotted orchids. Uh, yeah, yeah, mostly that we get the two, yeah. the southern and the common spotted. Okay. And they hybridise. Ah. Uh, anyway. So we're looking into a pit, and yes, it's, it's if basically. If you'd like to, if you like to sit there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Get a bit oh. of shelter actually from the wind. Yeah. It's, I, what I, was it, four suggest, feet deep, a metre deep? Yes, it's about, a, it's getting on for a metre deep. It, it's a little bit dried out, so I'm spraying it to uh, uh, moisten it so that it's moist colours show. Uh, all the time here we're on the Dartmoor granite, uh, and uh, people think of granite as one of the hardest materials uh, in nature, but in fact, uh, when subjected to thousands of years of weathering and uh, it uh, it softens up, and the so a depth of soil can develop in it. So here we've got different soil layers. We've got a, a topsoil here, which is a sort of greyish colour, dark, dark. Yeah, dark. Uh, and that's uh, that's a good sort of. 30 centimetres. Yes, 20, it is getting on, getting on that. Uh, yeah. I notice by what's crawling about on my hands at the moment, there are ants. Large ants, yes. No but then can, we have no a weathered subsoil yeah. down to about 18 inches uh, or 40 or 50 centimetres. And then we move into little weathered, deeper subsoil. So that's uh, not rock down there. That's it's not solid rock. It's, a, it's, it's a broken up rock. And there are streaks in it which uh, come from the, the uh, geological history of the soil. But essentially, this dark top suggests uh, a, a substantial amount of organic matter. 
and then the bright brownie colours, orangey brown colours, uh, indicate that uh, it is freely draining, that there is, uh, that this is never, this is never seriously waterlogged. It's all to do with the the uh, iron chemistry of it. That it's the iron that gives the this soil, gives it the brown colour, the soil sort of colour, and sl- organic matter giving this this colour. Okay. So at the simplest level, that's the sort of sort of profile. The the darkness indicates that uh, not so long ago historically, this will have been what would locally be called downland or moorland. If you look over at the hilltop yes. at, towards Chagford there, you can see that it's, uh, well, with the eye of faith and believing what I'm telling you... Yeah, yeah, well, I have that's, to. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, that's uh, all uh, bracken and heather up there. Yeah. Uh, that's residual moorland, and for most of uh, the post-glacial, most of the... The last ten thousand years. This is what this will have been like. This would have been moorland as, as yes, soon as that. Yeah. Okay. So, this so that accounts of... for the 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 dark topsoil. Okay. Now, what's happened is that, that this has obviously been reclaimed for agriculture from the moorland, and because the granite produces a light sandy soil, it was very good for potato growing. And up until the nineteen sixties, where potato growing changed from essentially a manual activity to a mechanised one. This land was used for that. And what happened to get rid of the acidity of the natural soil, lime was brought in and raised the pH. Yes, I've heard about this on Dartmoor. That yes, a lot this, of, uh... it was really important in this area because from the point of view of growing potatoes, if you limed it and got the pH up, you then got a, a, a soil that gave you a very clean uh, potato when you harvested it. Yeah. The, the area had a reputation as a potato growing area. That is all gone now because of the mechanisation. So it's a big change. All these streaks down here are uh, earthworm channels. Oh, they go that deep, and, do they? Oh, so yes. This is like, yes. This if, is if the, if the, 40, 50, if, half, yeah, it's halfway down yeah, half a metre. If, and if you go on, uh, it, you can find sites where... They go much deeper. As long as there's not a water table, yeah. they'll go. Or as long as it's not rock. Right. Rock and water table will stop them. What's happened here with this top, this thin topsoil is that they've cast, yeah. and over the years, that casting has built up. So now, that is pure... Well, that's partly worm cast, that top. Yeah, that is, that, yes, that, it is worm cast. Beautifully fertile. Now, Darwin noted this, yeah. uh, looking on some uh, Roman pavements. There was 18 inches of, of, of this sort of topsoil over the Roman, Roman pavement. So he, he said, OK, that's, that's about an inch a century. Really? Is that we, how things get buried then? Like Roman yes, roads, that's, a, that's by, a lot by, of it, yes. So it's yes. not just sort of wind-blown material. No, no, it's the work no. of worms. That... And, and leaf litter adding to it and attracting them. How important are earthworms to our farming systems and the health of our... Well, they, they, they have to be important. I mean, in, in freely draining soils, they, they help the free drainage. And if there is a drainage or a compaction problem, then if you've got species of earthworms that will burrow down, then that has got to be a help in recovering any structural damage, any com- subsoil compaction. Because from the point of view of thinking about soil and farming and sustainability... Another benefit of earthworms, if we want to look from the other angle, is to say that it, they can be an indicator. So farmers and land managers who are interested in their soil can go and have a look and use them as an indicator of what's going on, or even a hook to think, have I got worms? I haven't. Why not? What can I do yes. about it? Yeah. Okay. So, Do people understand that this is... From what you've been saying, Tim, and what you've been saying, Hannah, they're, they're fundamental to the health of your soil and perhaps the productivity and profitability of your land. I think it depends on the individual. Right, OK, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I work with farmers who are interested in their soil and they're interested in the, the growing environment in the wider sense. And we do have people who've asked specifically, how do I count my worms? What do I look at? 
what sort of worms are they? But of course there will be other farmers who are still on the still on the page of well I've, I've got crops coming out never mind the soil. Yeah, so I think it, yeah. it really That's does the... it does depend on the individual. Right, we've come to another pit, which has got water in the bottom. Well, this obviously looks quite different. Um, doesn't have the same layers of. But you're going to tell me all about it. I'm, I'm going to tell you all about it. I think the first. first you brought thing... a weird tool along with you, like a sort of looks like something you take a manhole cover off with. Or well, a... well it, it's. <laughs> that's it. it it's a pogo stick. It's, it's a, uh, a gouge auger. Uh, okay. In the right circumstances, you push this into the soil, or in some cases hammer it in, it's about eight and it fills long. with it fills with soil, and then you've got a, 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 a ten-minute way of seeing a soil profile rather than this way, which is a morning's work. I see, digging uh, digging holes. So it's a, in but, some in some respects, it's a bit of a guessing stick, yeah. but because you don't see as much. But uh, the thing to say about this site now is that. Uh, I hope you appreciated that as we walked from the other pit back to the farm buildings, we came down a bit of a slope. Now, the thing to know about granite is, although the, the actual rock pieces where you see them in a quarry or uh, a tor aren't porous in any significant way, the, the rock, because it, it uh, cracks and breaks up uh, and weathers, does act as uh, what the geologists would call an aquifer. In other words, it, it, it has some sort of a water table in it. It's not a perfect water table, but there is a water table. So in the lower ground, in what Tony described as the, the horseshoe of wetland, there is a high water table, particularly in the winter and spring months. There's still water in this pit. It's been baled a couple of times, uh, but in April uh, and through into May, despite it being fairly dry weather, the water table was pretty well to the surface here. Right, okay. so, so it's quite high, high water table. So, and and as, as you remarked, this is, this is a rush uh, buttercup meadow, really. Very different characters. Very, very different to where we've been. And the rush is, uh, is an immediate indicator of wetness. Now, I think what has probably happened with this, this land... It was wetland with wetland vegetation until 1940. And then there was this organisation or local organisations called the War Ag, the War Agricultural Committee, that went and told farmers that they'd, they'd got to plough up the land because of the siege situation we were in and for food production. And I think this, this is certainly the sort of land that would have been ploughed once and they would realise... Well, well, we don't really get a crop out of this because we can't, because of the wetness, we can't work the land when we need to, yeah. and that's vital for, for food crops. So it's probably had one or two cultivations in the war, and then it's been allowed to go back to some form of grassland. Sort of semi-natural grassland. Yeah, yeah it is a, a, approaching a, a, a semi-natural state. Is that a, so, bit, a bit of a problem, though, in some marginal land in Britain that oh, we're yes. trying to make, yes. trying to get... Yes. Something else. Yes. Something. Trying, and and uh, it's a real dilemma for people who've got to farm it. Yeah. But the important thing is that although the, the soil material mechanically, uh, in terms of whether it's sand, silt or clay in the subsoil, will be very similar to that that we looked at before, yeah. okay. th this is much more variable in its colouring. You can see there are grey patches... They're sort of brownie orange that, and it, tiny. It's patch. mottled. That's yeah, that's the point. It's very rough, sandy feel. Yes, to it. yes. Um, the mottling yeah. is an expression of the anaerobic, the anoxic conditions caused by the high water table. Uh, okay. So the, the the iron chemistry is is completely different in 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 wet soils. So it can't oxidise in the same way. No, that's right. So pretty poor for for any sort of arable work. Oh yes. Uh, grazing land? If you time it well, then it will produce a decent amount of grass without, without doubt. But also, let's, let, hypothetically, okay, we've added the nitrogen, we've got lots of grass, yeah. we, we want to make silage. And we'd want to make silage as early as possible yeah. 
uh, and when when there's been some good sunshine on it to get some, get the sugars up in the grass. But it's a wet soil, and it and it rains a few days before you yeah. you go to cut the silage. This ground will mark with the with the vehicles, with the forage harvesters and the trailers and so on, yeah. and compact the soil, squash it down because it's still moist. I see. So it's very easy to damage, and yeah. the same goes for grazing it with cattle. But cattle will compact and will poach this and. Com compact it. There are many ways in which this can be uh, degraded. When this was full of water and came to bale it for a visiting group, we had to be very careful baling it because there were there were froglets in it. Oh really? That they actually yeah. bred in here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. To take yeah. advantage of even temporary water. Oh yes, yeah. Talk yeah. about the economics and the current economic pressures actually we're finding that because the price of fertilizers are going through the roof we're getting more questions about what can i do alternatively what can i use instead of synthetic fertilizer or how can i change my management yeah so that's a positive outcome of this sort of crisis it is and yeah. I, I mean it's, it's it's incredibly hard work for the farmers who who do, do need to make a profit and it's it's making life very difficult but Hopefully, even if a few of them discover these alternative, yeah. <laughs> a different way, you know, um, these alternative options, and they might realise that actually we can carry on doing this, and it is still profitable. Fewer inputs. Yeah. 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 Um, so maybe even in the long term, if things do sort of tilt back again, at least if if, if a proportion keep going with these alternative options, we might be in a better position. So I hear a lot about regenerative farming, and. That is, seems to be a sort of movement. Is that something <laughs> on the ground you see, or is it more? Yeah. Magazines like. No, to talk it is. About? It is, and um, it makes me smile because. Um, is it's, it a term? Regenerative? It's a, it's a, it's a, yeah. It's one of these labels, a little bit like soil health. Yeah. You say, oh, oh well, I'm doing regenerative farming. Well, what exactly? Is that and and different groups have different definitions. Very well, wilding. All these things can just sort of exactly. have, a, have a very broad. I guess they're trying to find some term to describe yeah. not using the, the inputs that... And you get people on Twitter who who are jumping up and down about one thing or another thing and it's got to be A and it mustn't be B. Oh, sort of becoming uh, and, dogmatic about it. Yes, so. and, it, and that's just not helpful. I mean, it, it's not helpful to be black and white. Like Tim's saying, this would, would be a, a good ecologically valuable wet grassland, wet meadow but it's not good for farming. Yeah. Well, it, it's sort of, you know, you, you don't have to be a regenerative farmer. You can be a farmer who is profitable and undertaking management practices that benefit the soil or that benefit the wider environment. It doesn't mean that you have to be at one end of the spectrum or the other yeah. because there is that pressure to, to grow food and to make money and it is a business. Yeah. So I should say that these fields are surrounded by beautiful mature trees. What have we got here? We've got birch, oak. Uh, what's a lot of birch, a lot of oak, and the wetter ground, the willow just grows like a weed. Yeah. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, our ash are getting hammered. Are they? Because yeah. they've ash died back. There's some beautiful ash trees in there. Are you going to just leave them to uh, I'll do only, their thing? Yes, yeah, because um, I'll cut them out if they're in danger of dropping on anybody yeah and um I, I did try where we had a few healthy looking ones and some bad ones i just cut the, them out to see if it would help the ones that survived i'm just kind of experimenting oh really. right i see yes and uh uh but but you know they've gone from some beautiful mature ones gone in three years from being perfectly healthy to completely so that yeah you'll see them in the, as we walk around you'll, you can just see them but have you uh, got any resistant ones here at all well that's what i'm wondering that's why i thought yeah. i wonder if it would help if we just yeah. and uh, and also you know well the dead wood standing dead wood is always useful for something Fabulous, fair, but uh, yeah. uh you know it isn't before i let you through the gate yeah we're just about to I just, another i just wanted to point to the Clarity of the stream water yes. on, on Dartmoor. Rather, rather nice to see clean stream water. I don't often see it these days. There are not many 
landscapes where I, I would drink stream water, but I think, I'm not sure I would here, but this would be as near as yeah. I would get to it. This is, uh, uh, this, even when it's rained hard, it will be beautifully clear. Like. And why is that? Just because it's filtered through the granite? Yes, yeah. yes. What uh, you ought to notice is that there's quite an abrupt little bench that the, the gorse is sitting on the edge of. Yeah. Now, the archaeologist will tell you that this, is, this lower strip between the gorse and the stream is a, a, an area that was worked for tin. What, uh, what they did was dig the gravel up and then essentially wash it to separate the heavier tin ore from the quartz and other, other materials much in the way that the, you know, the Gold Rush 49ers so they're did in California. Tin, yeah. yeah, essentially it was a form of panning, yeah. yeah. But, see, but yes. essentially we're, we're looking at... We're a small field, small hedged sm- fields. Small here. fields, uh, medieval enclosures, the medieval... Well, so me- medieval field patterns here. Yes. That's really... Yeah. But even so, there are... It's very rich. There are indicators. I mean, creeping thistle here. Yeah. That's, that's a good dry soil indicator. I see. I mean, there are old stories about blind Devon farmer going to look at some land he wanted to buy and he took his sons with him he said right take me to such and such a field and to their surprise he got down on his hands and knees and he was feeling and what are you doing I'm feeling for the dieschels which is a dialect term for creeping creeping thistle and and they always used to say elm trees in the hedge and dieschels in the field, good land. Good land, okay. No elm trees now. No. Are these your sheep then? No, we, uh, we don't have any stock now. We rent to a neighbour and he's very, very obliging knowing what we're trying to do. Oh, he right. works with us very well. You can hear some got, lovely. I'm just going to describe, they're quite, they are woolly in a. Yeah, like, like they used to be shorn, but you can see on the, on the lambs, yeah. which are about to be. Got uh, very curly, yeah, small. yeah, that's um, right. You... Very, very pleasant faces. Very kind of yeah, and they're, they're very, very quiet. I mean, yeah. If you move them, you have to pick them up and carry them individually. Yeah, it's all right. Actually, some... this is the flock belongs to the farmer's fourteen-year-old son, which is building up, which is oh, quite nice. Well. Oh. Look at this gate post, granite gate post with notches cut in it. It's, it should it, have a matching yeah. one at that end. We do have a place where there is a matching one. Where where the notches by. the notches will be. L-shaped, yeah. uh, inverted L-shape. So before the hinge, people put slots, uh, slats, or yeah, rails in essentially. Right. And yeah. uh, how old a, is that stone then? Before the hinge, <laughs> pre-hinge, <laughs> several hundred years. Probably, yes. Yeah. Uh, so we're looking into our third pit. Here. Uh, yes. Spider scuttles over a huge stone that's poking out. Um, so what can you tell I think, me here? I think I need to uh, moisten it before we we start. Okay. But essentially, uh, we're back up on the on the the centre of Tony's horseshoe. Yeah. And we're back on freely draining soils, which in many respects are similar to the first one we looked at but I hope your memory will tell you that the topsoil here is a lot browner. Yeah, and and deeper. Yes, it is a bit deeper. The conventional wisdom is that rather than this forming under moorland, as the first site did, this, this formed under deciduous woodland, probably oak woodland, eight or nine thousand years under woodland and then the settlers the Saxon settlers moved in and cleared the forest and picked the freely draining soil as their, their, their arable land hence the the medieval enclosures which are which are still here which is un, unusual for, uh, for for England yeah so we've got the same sort of arrangement of a an unmottled brown subsoil below a brownish greyish topsoil eventually going into weathered granite and this one's a bit different because it's got some quite decent sized uh, 
Is that a lump of granite? Then? That's a granite stone, yeah. yes. I mean, that, that is 20 or 30 centimetres across. A lot more small granite stones deeper in the subsoil, but in general terms, this would, this would be regarded as a broadly similar soil to the, yeah. to the first one, but quite clear different uh, uh, evolutionary. So it's uh, deeper because it's had woodland on it? Uh, well, it's had co cultivation. I mean, oh, that, yeah. I don't know what that is. Well, that could, could be pottery. Oh, really? Or it might, it might just be a... It looks like pottery to me. Should yeah, I it looks, it? it's certainly not granite. No. It looks as though it might have been fired. So that's, so that's medieval? Got, yes, that will, probably medieval, may, maybe earlier, I don't know, but it's... Uh, yeah. It's got ploughed down anyway. Yes, it's, yeah. uh, so, so that's interesting. So there's actual human objects buried 30 centimetres, 40 yes, centimetres yeah. down. So. Yeah. It must have been a deep cultivation to get that uh, that stone down there. Uh, Do you know someone locally who can look at that bit of pottery? I, uh, there's a county, there's an arch archaeologist oh, yeah. at Dartmoor. The, at the so park. you'll show them that. We'll show them that. That's great. Archaeological finds <laughs> live. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah. Pot from the pit. Podcasts. Uh, so this is the end of the horseshoe from where we started. And uh, there are some odd lumps of gorse and things. I don't mind those big lumps. Our butterfly counter, Hazel, tells us that she often finds lots of the uh, butterfly webs close into there. They seem to like it a bit. So as long as... You keep a bit of the scrub. We keep a bit of the scrub. Well, if it fits in a chunk, but we do have to hammer uh, all the scrub from one end to the other otherwise in a way it's kind of, I know it's kind of the anti re rewilding because if we let it rewild we'd have a, a birch and willow forest here yeah. but that you would really lose the habitat so we do have to do quite a lot of uh, uh, only in the winter yeah. we have to go from one end to the other and, and smash uh, the scrub up a bit smash the scrub yeah. which we don't do with the tractor we do with brush cutters and we also keep these sort of hedges that go across, we keep them low because it's the other thing the butterfly doesn't like. Yeah. <laughs> going you know, very, going very over high hedges. Yeah, it's a very fussy butterfly. And uh, I mean, it doesn't obviously doesn't look much, it doesn't look anything from an agricultural point of view, but uh, my, I've got a new theory, which is my Dolly Parton theory of management, is that Dolly Parton says it takes a lot of time, effort and money to look as trashy as this <laughs> and I say it takes a lot of time and effort to make this ground look as terrible yeah. as it does well, to, to maintain the habitat for the butterfly. It's very very, you've got some bracken there, you've got a bit of scrub, it's brushy. Bracken will hammer, yeah. soon, uh, we do try to control the bracken because that's, we actually don't want that. But well, as I see there's lots of ragged robin. Yeah, ragged um, robin which is this lovely, I just described it, it's kind of like a, it's very relaxed petals I think. Beautiful. Yeah. Really yeah. sort of Beautiful. big wide pink. Yeah. Uh, yeah, thin petals. Yeah, earlier on there's bugle, uh, you can see the orchids again. Yes. I mean, the orchids really were confined to this area, and as you say, as you try to manage those other dry fields, they've just spread out of here, yeah. up, up those fields, which is a wonderful. There's loads. Oh, wait, 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 There is a marsh fritillary. This is the first one I've ever seen, not knowingly. Thank you, thank you, Tony. Look at that, it's so beautifully patterned, like a sort of stained glass. <sighs> Just in the wind. I was confident. <laughs> How absolutely wonderful. Even on a cloudy day. Yeah, good. That's, that's superb, I always love to, when a plan comes together. So the marsh fritillary is everywhere now. <laughs> it's a uh, beautiful place though. I mean, you said trashy, but the <laughs> sheer... I love it, yeah. Yeah, the sheer... Um, but I think a lot of people would think of it as yeah. that sort of old feeling of wasteland and, oh, yeah, it's not oh, productive. Yes, yes um, yeah. But the richness of the, the flower, the floral diversity here and the kind of... Oh, it's lovely. Yeah, but it depends, it depends on your background and your circumstances. I mean, yeah, and if you need to make money out of it. Yeah, <laughs> or even survive yeah. from it. You're, you're, you're taking a sample of... Yeah, it's not, it's not very thick, but that's... 
So that's that, that's fair. Peat. Taken out you of. can see the the fibrous nature of it. It's a, it's only about thirty centimeters. It's not as uh, as deep as some of the yeah. uh, wet spots. Or but it just very much looks. I mean, it looks like sort of cow manure almost. It's that sort of yes. How, Tim, how long does peat take to? Yeah, well, one centimetre of peat a year, a decade? Or, a no, I would say longer than that. I mean, uh, some some of the thick, on the high moor, yeah. uh, which is ideal conditions for, for peat, the, blank, the blanket peat in places is up to uh, eight metres thick, and probably that has uh, developed over most of the post-glacial, so the 10 or 12,000 years so it's yeah. uh, it's, it's, a, it's a slow old process time. so when when we hear of peat restoration projects up on the moors it's a, it's a long it's, it's a long we're not job. going to see a huge amount of it no, in our no, lifetime no. so another field of different character yeah i was just saying that every field on the wetland has a just slightly different character and uh, Obviously, there's a few more trees here. We kind of try to keep it a bit open. Uh, and that there is actually there's a lot of devil's bit scabious here, as you can see. That's, that's devil's bit scabious. That's what the marsh artillery relies on. Right, so it's, it'll flower later, will it? It'll like? flower, uh, yeah, in, a, in a about probably about another month's time, three okay. or four weeks' time. Uh, but That's the, their food plant. That's it. Uh, they lay their eggs on the back of a leaf here. Yeah. Uh, about 100 eggs and then uh, they form a web over them and they feed off that leaf and so our butterfly counter who counts the butterflies in the, the live butterflies in the summer does a web count essentially walks this ground in a sort of zigzag fashion and has to spot a brown leaf <laughs> on the plant and then if you look underneath you'd see them and that's kind of their food and okay. uh, so they'll have laid their eggs now, though, yeah? Uh, well, I think they lay that, yes, that some of them will, because they've been going for about a month so now, and we're at very much at the tail end. I mean, we had a very high, a really good high count this year of yeah. 139, that's in sort of 40, Hazel's 48 minute count. Oh, really? That's good. <laughs> so, so that's that quite was, a high count. Yeah. And that's just, you know, nice high so you've got ponies here as well to do a. Yeah, a, that's, their job is to maintain, is to maintain this wetland through the summer. Oh. Uh, and uh, the good thing about the ponies is they don't like devil's bit scabious. Or they, oh, well, they might good. like it, but they don't eat it. Do they keep the bracken at bay? They don't eat bracken. We do that by... I'll come oh. down here with the rush cutter and we'll oh, do that. I see. And we can only control it, really. We can't really annihilate it. No. We don't do any spraying. Does it have any ecological <laughs> purpose? As far as I'm concerned. It's amazing, isn't uh, it? Yeah. No, bracken has become no, I just so, yeah, it's so not... prevalent in our... Yeah. Uh, the the uh, other thing that's happened while we walk around here, we walk by the uh, a badger set. Now, there's a there's a good link between soils and and the distribution of badger sets. They obviously don't like being flooded, so they tend to go for the free draining soil, and they like this abrupt boundary. Yeah. Between between, uh, so they they're gonna they're gonna bit dig their sets in this. Yes, in in, this bank. in, in, in there. Yes. Wow. How did you become a soil scientist? I came by chemistry. My undergraduate degree is straight chemistry. Yeah. And then environmental science. Environ as, a, as a PhD, masters or something like that. I or? did a masters in environmental science. Then I worked as an environmental consultant um, <laughs> in. Uh, uh, waste management and contaminated land which was depressing yeah then i did a phd in soil chemistry um and here i am working in agriculture as a as a soil chemist specifically and an interesting career yeah well it um, is because rewarding career. it is and it's it's applied and i always knew i wanted to be an applied scientist yeah and the best bit well, about rather than a theoretical yes scientist. yeah and the best bit about my job is talking to groups of farmers and giving them information that I know they're going to be able to put into practice to improve their profitability and the quality of the environment that yeah. they're working in. And that absolutely is. And when I, when I get feedback from people saying, oh, Hannah, I've had a go at that or I've been thinking about what you said or whatever, 
then that's the best bit because I know that by talking to one group of farmers that could be a massive area of the country and actually there can be improvements going on all around. Yeah, that's really exciting. So you've got, you can see the, the impact of... Yeah, absolutely. Are there jobs out there? There, there, there are, are some. There aren't yeah. as many as there were, for sure. Yeah. But there are lots of places where it's showing itself as a problem that the... I mean, I'm in fairly frequent uh, conversation with uh, soil scientists working on uh, major engineering projects and, and uh, there's a planning requirement to... Uh, make uh, assessments of soils, particularly where, say, uh, uh, infrastructure is going through ancient woodland. Uh, and uh, the standard of reports that people are getting back from consultants are not, shall we say, what they should be. Yeah. Uh, I think if you blindfolded me and took me somewhere and to a ready-dug soil pit give me five minutes looking at it I could talk to you about it for a well for you a could long, tell us where time. tell us where we were in, in well, I don't know whether I could tell you where you were but where on Dartmoor uh, well I, I think you know anywhere in northwestern Europe really uh, I wouldn't want to try my hand in the tropics <laughs> so that was Tim Harrod ending that fascinating insight into soil and tim is quite the most remarkable man a man who's dug more holes i suspect than anyone else in in britain and and his knowledge of soils and how they all work uh just fascinating and obviously we had hannah bowley there also from the british society of soil science showing how once we know how soils work with certain crops and certain conditions so livestock or arable and teach farmers and show them how to make the most of the land they have. Really fascinating. And also a huge thanks to Tony Bayliss of the Langerford Farm Charitable Trust, who's managed that land so spectacularly. And it is the most, I could have easily spent hours and hours just wandering around among the butterflies, the wildflowers, the orchids were incredible. Talking about special places and wild and wonderful. <laughs> I'm in the podcast studio with the team of Jack, Hannah, and also Jeremy, who is a the silent member of the team sometimes because he's he has the unenviable job of signing off the podcast to make sure there's no bad things go out. <laughs> <laughs> Do I count as wild or wonderful? That's what I'm doing. Both. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's an important part of the podcast processes. So thank you, Jeremy. Pleasure. Really nice to have you along today. Long-term listeners will remember Jeremy from a podcast that we recorded back in January, January, early January, when it was my goodness, the ground was frosty. There it was, deep and crisp and even. And we, um, we, we were talking about music and the countryside. A long time ago, it seems. Very pleasant day it was too, though. Well, thank you. I had a great time. And if anyone would like to listen to that podcast, highly recommend it. It's number one hundred and thirty-three. Well, we've done over one hundred and fifty now. So wow. Anyway, we're in the middle of our taste of the countryside season. But something's happened. I've got to say, something, something amazing's happened, which is why we've asked Jeremy to join us today. Because last week, while we, uh, while we, Hannah, we thank you for returning after your birthday absence. But we were also just, I was just about to go off to the PPA Awards, which are the sort of Oscars of um, publishing. So the podcast was up for PPA Podcast of the Year. And well, lo and behold, Guess what happened? We actually won, and we were up against eight other fantastic titles, including two, uh, two or three from Immediate Media and Our Media, which are our parent companies here. But we won! Yay! So, Yay! Yeah, so, and it's the first time I've had a chance to say congratulations to the team here because it's not not my award. It's this is a team team gathering. So well done, chaps! It's amazing, and I had to get up. I was completely unprepared. I was all shaky and staggered across the stage, and I hadn't had anything to drink. Uh, and it was Tess Daly of Strictly who was giving out the awards. So she was really sweet and just sort of uh, gave me a hug, which was nice because that was quite reassuring. And, uh, and, then, and then we've got the award in the studio. And I can't hope, help but notice that something seems to have happened to the award between the ceremony and the studio. Yes. Okay, so it's got a bit of a chip in it, but um, that's because 
I had to dash for a train after the awards and it was a very slow train. It was just before a day of train strikes. So I caught the last train home to Wales. And as I stepped into out of Newport Station, I was still in my tuxedo and very painful shoes. So I swapped over my shoes, dropped my bag and the award hit the floor. And so in Newport Station at 1.30 in the morning, the award got, <laughs> the award got chipped. All that story, just to cover up, you had a couple too many lemonades. <laughs> well, no, no, I then had to drive 40 minutes. I wasn't home till gone two o'clock, but uh, it was very satisfying. Honestly, much better to win an award and come home at two o'clock in the morning than not win one. So, uh, and that's, you know, that's a big testimony to obviously all, all of you here, but also thank you so much for listening and for the encouraging feedback we've had over the years. Uh, well, it's not been many years. We only started this in 2019 and... As I say, testimony to lots of interaction with you listeners and please. Well, that was one of the things that we were judged on, wasn't it? Like how our audience interacts with us. Well, I, I actually have the judges' comments. Mm. Oh. And the judges' comments were, the judges for this category were impressed not only with the content proposition, but with the innovative concepts used to drive user participation, therefore boosting engagement and drawing in new audiences. <laughs> which I think is a jargony way of saying we we really the, like to just hear from <laughs> we you. Like yeah, to hear we couldn't from have everyone. done it without you. Yeah, yeah. Without, without you, we wouldn't have been able to show that we've got an engaged group of us that are all interested in the same thing that all yeah. sort of come together each week to have escape into the countryside. Yeah. So thank you, thank you so much for your input. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, so we are going to celebrate, but we're also going to make it work as well um, in terms of because we have, <laughs> but not difficult work. But every time. Uh, during the season of food podcasts, of, of a taste of the countryside. We're going to taste things. And today it seems appropriate to taste... Victory. Victory. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. Yeah, yeah. This victory tastes particularly sweet. Um, but we're going to taste some, some... Well, we're going to compare a French champagne with an English sparkling wine. Now, I know that's quite far-fetched, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a blind taste for Jack, Hannah and Jeremy see if they can tell the difference between an English sparkling wine and a French champagne. Now, I chose two bottles that they both had, they were both described as having tones of apple and brioche. <laughs> I like <laughs> so, both of those things. That I, yeah, those sound quite good. I've never really thought of brioche and champagne going together, but why not? Why not? That sounds great. I'm going to ask you just to turn away so that you don't see what I'm, what I'm doing. And there, you have to trust me, listeners, that everyone has really... <laughs> They have turned away. We all could have closed our eyes, but we all decided to yeah, physically move. <laughs> Sorry, this is going to take a while. So That's right. I just hope this doesn't explode on me because it's been in my bag. Oh! oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know what's happened. We can't look. <laughs> don't look, don't look. It's got lively. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a... Exhibit A, don't look. Don't no, I'm not looking. I did say... Let's hope for Everyone get your umbrellas out. Because they've been in a car and then they've been on a bike. Ooh, that's very different sound. Yeah, that's that's more stable this one. I was about to say that sound is a lot less violent. We have. Am I allowed to turn around yet? Yes, you can turn yeah. around now. Okay. <laughs> so we had a bit of a disaster there. But um so what have we got here? Jeremy, would you like to describe the how would you describe that colour? They're both very similar. They're both very similar. They're kind of, yes, sort of strawy coloured, aren't they? There's not even a touch of green or anything like that to either of them. Pale straw. Pale straw. straw. Any advances on pale straw? The bubbles They've... in the A are slightly finer yes. than in B as well. Okay, interesting. A, finer bubbles than B. Would you like to try A to start with then? Cheers, friends. Uh, uh, cheers. Yes. Tremendous. Wonderful. Well, well done, country far. Yeah. I'm getting apples. Quite appley, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. I'd say that's quite delicious. So, apples, Jeremy, you're a... I'm really struggling with the old apples, I must admit. Oh. It's tangy. I think the appleiness makes it taste a bit cidery. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you so could give me that and I would think it was cider, I think. That's the sort of girl I am. Yeah, you like a cider. <laughs> cider with Hannah is the book. But, uh... <laughs> the lesser known... For me, it tastes. It does taste very dry. I'll say oh, really dry. Yeah, I think it's dry sweeter than okay. Okay, really? magnifique. Okay, well, or, or magnificent. We don't know. So this is the second one here. Oh, B. Yeah. 
this the one that went everywhere? <laughs> no, no, this is uh, the, this is the one that stayed in the in the bottle. Cheers again. Cheers. Uh, congratulations. Salut. Perhaps. Oh, I don't know. Maybe, yeah. Peut-être. Yakidar. Mmm. Completely different. Very different. Now, you see, with that one, for me, that previously mentioned apple taste comes much stronger across. This one tastes more like wine. Okay. So more winey. Less cidery. For me. Okay. Mm, for me, it's more apple which is so mm, weird. That is weird. I'm very, very glad that I'm not a professional wine taster <laughs> and being put on the spot here. It's really nice. To, I think this is one of my favourite taste tests. So you need to you need to make a, a judgment call on which you think is the f- a, a which one you like best A or B. So put a tick on A or B and then say which one you think is the French and which one's the English. I'm going to say A is French based on the size of the bubbles. A French and B English. And what's which one did you prefer? A. I think. A. Okay. So For me, what... it feels a bit softer, a bit more like gentle. Jeremy. I definitely prefer B. Okay. That's one vote for B, Which one vote for A so far. As I say, I can actually taste it. tastes fruitier to me. I've got... I, I'm, no, I'm guessing here. I say I've got the feeling. What nonsense. <laughs> if I have to guess, I'm going to guess that B is the French and A is the English. Mm. One vote each. Jack, I you're f- going to be the decider then. So I think I prefer B. Okay. And I also think B... Is French because I think for that that reason of it didn't the first time didn't hit as hard. I don't know French. I feel like would be the the more gentle one. Okay. I think the bubble thing is a. Uh, I think that's a that's a red herring. <laughs> a red herring. Well, we're going to test red herring. My, next my week. thinking is because <laughs> France is just that a little bit further south, get a little bit more sunshine, which is why it tasted a touch sweeter. But as I say, I'm my I'm, I'm no expert. So well, this has been. Very, very interesting. I'm going to shake Hannah Tribe's hand. Yes! Oh, well done, Hannah. Absolutely. Thank you very Correct. much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well done. It, the, a was the French champagne was and B was the English sparkling wine. I think something about the bubble size was was, was quite a good one. I think... I got double bluffed by the bubbles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Double bubble trouble. Um, fantastic. Well, it, but this is just an excuse for us to drink champagne. <laughs> well done, everyone. Well done, Hannah. Well I done. actually I think I got my around the wrong way, actually. Sorry. <laughs> okay. I was right. Yeah. Why don't you have a second opinion or a third opinion or a fourth opinion? So one of the things we talked about earlier was how we've had lots of interaction with you over the, over the months and years. And one of the best ways is through our Sounds of the Week, which we try to have every week. We love it when listeners send in anything they've recorded. Sounds, birdsong, waterfalls, rain dripping on leaves. And jack of phone is the easiest way, isn't it? You yep. don't need great kit. No, most phones have a free voice memo, voice notes app. You can use that, record a clip and send it over. My email address is editor at countryfile.com. Along with any comments about the podcast, we really like the positive ones. But, um, you know, we, we love to get your thoughts and we always try to read them out in the podcast. And that includes you, Jeremy. I know you've sent, you have you record sounds in your garden. And- I have tried, yes. Um, there always seems to be sort of some other noise which kind of gets in the way, like kind of teenagers wandering down the path <laughs> and swearing. That, and that, okay. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. And then, you, then when you listen through, you'd have to edit it out and yes. say they were swearing at 44 minutes, 32 <laughs> seconds. Exactly. But actually, te- distant sound of children playing is quite a nice sound of the countryside. <laughs> these, lot, these lot aren't playing. Oh, <laughs> oh dear, okay. okay. But I really like that incidental sound. Like, it gives a true representation of what it's like. Like, one of my bugbears is people thinking that countryside is this kind of like sterile place that's just full of wildlife yeah but like it's it's full of people as well Mm. and people using machinery people swearing a lot people kind of getting on with their lives so if if you happen to think that your area is too noisy then give it a go anyway and we'd love to hear it yeah true true and and there is a sort of magic in distant in an in a drone of an airplane on a summer's day or distant motorbike heading off somewhere exciting. We've had that before. One of our soundscapes had like quite prominent motorbike, mm. but it's yeah. it still gives a sense of space because you can hear it moving away from you. Like mm. it, it it all works. Well, we love those. So please send them in. We look forward to listening to them and we will play them in future podcasts. So this one, I, well, I actually do have a sound of the week to share with you, excitingly enough, so you can see an example of, of this. And it's from Peter Beagley. And he says... 
This is from a little bit earlier in the year. He says, here's the morning chorus I captured from my houseboat uh, on the River Lee in East London. So that's pretty exciting. That's an area I know quite well. We're right by the marshes and wetlands here, and there's a resident heron, nesting swans not far away, and cormorants. We once watched one wrestling with an eel, wriggling all the way down its throat, which is pretty cool. Pretty cool image there. Thanks, Peter. Uh, Here in this recording, I hear my first cuckoo in London. My mum remembers when she heard them in London every year, up to when she was about 20. And with the birds... You can hear Boudicca, our cat, queen of the boat. Thankfully, she's never brought any wildlife back. And he says, thanks so much for the pod. For the plod, in fact. And he signs off as at Peter in the pub. You can find me on Instagram, having just completed visiting 365 pubs in 365 days. Peter, please come on the podcast. (laughs) We need to talk to you about this. This is brilliant. I did check out the Instagram. It's impressive. (laughs) (laughs) So... Peter, and thank you for sending a photo of Boudicca, your cat. Nice to hear her making her voice heard in the, that little sound, in that little sound of the week. Brilliant. That's the sort of thing we're after. So please send us more. So thank you very much, Peter. Brilliant. So there you have it. The wonders of soils and the magic and how they can change the world. Plus the joys of drinking champagne in the podcast <laughs> studio. And an English white wine as well. And an English, English white, sparkling wine. Well, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. Yes, we've got to get the terminology right or we, we get in trouble. Thank you so very much for listening and for supporting us over the past few years. Do listen next week when we're off on another adventure into the countryside. But for now, thank you and goodbye.